Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we share our hands-on experiences with Metroid Dread and look back at 35 years of the Metroid saga. My name is Chris, and this episode, I'm joined by Nate from Nintendo Treehouse. Hi, Nate. Hey there. And Anthony from the social media team at Nintendo of America. Hi, Anthony. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for coming back, guys. And you know, like me, I know you've both been preoccupied with a certain game the past few days, or maybe preoccupied actually puts it a little too lightly because, I, you know, I've been spending just about every hour of my free time playing Metroid Dread, and it's everything I hoped it would be. And, uh, you know, we've been trading a few texts here and there while we've all been playing, uh, but I've tried not to talk about the game with you too much because I really wanted to share it all for our discussion today. So are you ready to get into it? Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome, awesome. So before we dig into Metroid Dread, I actually want to back up for just a few minutes to quickly recap how we got to this game because, you know, this is the final chapter in a five-game arc of 2D Metroid games that spans 35 years. And of course, uh, you know, this story arc only includes the fully 2D games and doesn't include the Metroid Prime series or Metroid Other M. And so this particular saga all started, of course, with Metroid uh, for the NES back in 1987. And I just want to give a quick story recap here, the key points that people may want to know, um, you know, before going into Metroid Dread. And actually, all of this is kind of uh, recapped <laughs> at the beginning of Metroid Dread. But um, so this game started with researchers discovering an unknown life form that they would name Metroid, uh, but space pirates tried to steal it and take it to their homeworld uh, with plans to weaponize it. So Samus is actually brought in uh, to stop them. And along the way, she defeats Kraid, Ridley, and Mother Brain and destroys the space pirates' bases. So, you know, the lesson here is don't mess with Samus. Um, now, we went on to Twitter and Facebook and asked fans to share their favorite uh, Metroid games. And Nevos chose Metroid Zero Mission as his top pick, which is actually uh, the Game Boy Advance remake of the original NES adventure. Because, you know, as he put it, the game feels like a mix of the best parts of the Metroid games. And I agree. And actually, Metroid Zero Mission might just be my favorite Metroid game, too. Um, well, maybe until Metroid Dread, but we'll get to that one in just a minute. But even in the original NES version of the game, all the building blocks were there for the series. You know, it really popularized a whole new style of play where you work through a maze, finding upgrades to enter new areas. And uh, and I can, you know, strongly remember my first experience with that game and just, you know, how big of an impression it made on me. So, you know, I wonder, Nate, um, did you play the original Metroid back in the day or come to it later? Or what was your first experience with, with that game? Oh, it was, I played it in 87. You know, I was, uh, <laughs> I was 12 <laughs> years old um, and I was obsessed with it. I still can't believe I beat it because I've gone back and played it as an adult and it's not, it's not an easy game. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I fell in love with it. I was, uh, I think because it was such a mishmash of genres, you know, it's a, it was sci-fi, but it was a you know you're shooting you're shooting things, but then you're also platforming. But it's also a, it's also a puzzle game, an environmental puzzle game to figure out how to get from A to B with the the abilities that you have. I don't know. It just it scratched an itch that I didn't know I had, and uh, yeah, I was I was completely into it um, as a kid, and still am into it now. And I will echo uh, what you already mentioned, which is that the zero mission, the Metroid Zero Mission remake, um, really did modernize it and add in. Uh, really just everything that had been added to the series over the years and is pretty much a perfect game as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Anthony, um, 
you're of a younger generation uh, to myself, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, so I don't imagine that you necessarily played the game back in 87, but, but uh, you know, what was your first experience with it? Yeah, you know, um, you're right to assume, you know, I, I definitely didn't play it uh, in 87 because I wasn't alive in 87. But um, <laughs> how dare you, <laughs> you know, having, you know, having just like, you know, kind of playing Metroid Dread and and, and working on this game, like I, I've had to go back and do a lot of research myself and sort of learn a lot about the history of this game and, and Samus and all the adventures she's been on so far. So um my first actual experience was with uh, Samus Returns on the on the 3D on the Nintendo 3DS. So, um, you know, I got really excited after playing that. I, I played through all of it and was kind of obsessed. And you know, even though I didn't get a chance to go back and play all of the older games, um, I mean, I couldn't be more excited for Metroid Dread. So I know you said we'll we'll get to it, but um, <laughs> I'm definitely stoked to to talk about how you guys like it and and you know what everybody's looking forward to. Absolutely. Well, just to finish up kind of talking about the original NES Metroid, you know, I think one of the reasons it's, it's kind of challenging to go back to today is because there's no map. You know, yeah. it's, you'd, you'd think kind of a big map is synonymous with, with Metroid games, but back then you just didn't have one. You actually didn't even have a, a full save feature. You had the password save, uh, password save functionality, which thankfully now if you were to like go back and play the game, for example, with Nintendo Switch Online, with that uh, NES collection, um, you can actually use the spin points and save anywhere, which makes it a little bit easier. Also, the rewind feature makes it quite a bit easier to get through that Cheater. one. Cheater. But, Cheater. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I beat it back in the day the right way, I'm totally going to uh, let myself cheat as much <laughs> as I like. pass. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but, you know, that game famously, you didn't even know that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Samus was a woman until the very end, and that's only if you got the special ending for completing the game a certain way or maybe put in a special code. Um, but that was kind of, uh, you know, unusual at the time because there weren't a lot of uh, strong female heroes back in 1987. So Samus was a real trailblazer, and that was another, just another thing that made the, the Metroid games so um, special and unique. Uh, and um, so, like I said, I do really appreciate that original Metroid, but I would strongly recommend that if anyone was going to check out that original Samus adventure, see if you can uh, find uh, Metroid uh, Zero Mission because that really is an amazing, amazing game. Now, moving on to Metroid 2 Return of Samus for Game Boy in 1991. This is the next chapter. And, and Anthony, like you said, this game was um, remade as Metroid uh, 2 Return of... Uh, I believe it was Metroid Samus Returns, actually. Yep. It's flipped the yep. other way for, for a Nintendo 3DS. And uh, just the key story beats people want to know for this one is that, you know, Samus is sent to destroy all the Metroids on the planet where they were first discovered, which was SR-388. And she completes her mission but leaves one Metroid alive, and it's a hatchling Metroid that imprints on her thinking that Samus is its mother. And uh, that, um, that little hatchling will play a big role in, the, in, the, in, the, in Super Metroid, which comes next. So um, Terry online picked this uh, as his favorite Metroid game. He said, my first Metroid game was Metroid 2 Return of Samus for Game Boy. I adored that game. I was excited every time I found a new power-up. The lack of a map feature or color variation made this game challenging, but Nintendo Power Magazine helped me out. I still have my original Game Boy cartridge. And, uh, you know, great points there. Obviously, it was on Game Boy. And while it was uh, an impressive game for Game Boy, the technology back then, obviously, it was black and white, so you had limited graphics. Um, I think maybe as a result of that, the game was a little more straightforward, uh, so you couldn't get too lost on that smaller screen uh, without that color variation. Um, but still, again, for a portable adventure back then, uh, pretty cool. Uh, Nate, was this something that you uh, you dove into back then? 
You know, that was actually one that I didn't play until after Super Metroid. I, strangely enough, even as obsessed as I was with the, the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, I didn't have a Game Boy. Um, and I don't, honestly, the, the reasons for that are lost to time. I don't know if my parents were just withholding it or if I was at the wrong age or what, but I didn't get to experience it until many years later. Um, and then played through it, and it, it's a, I mean, an excellent game, especially considering the platform it was on. The challenges you, you noted were challenges, I think, especially the, the monochromatic nature of it made getting lost really, really easy. And um, I think, you know, in, in yet another example of the upgrade just being absolutely incredible, the, the remake of this on the 3DS, um, you know, Metroid Samus Returns, expanded that game out in so many ways. I mean, not only did, did, did it pay tribute to the original in a way that was, um, you know, made you realize how great the original game design was, but the way that they fleshed it out and expanded and added new moves and new abilities uh, and really modernized and laid the groundwork for Metroid Dread is, it was impressive when I played it, and it's more impressive now that I see how Metroid Dread has turned out. Um, just a fabulous game. Absolutely, because obviously uh, the remake, Metroid Samus Returns for Nintendo 3DS, was... Um, uh, developed in cooperation with um, Mercury Steam, which is also the team that uh, that uh, Nintendo is working with on Metroid Dread. So you see a lot of the new features and, and the gameplay style and the evolution of the series that would inform the creation of Metroid Dread already starting here in that that remake of, of Metroid 2, um, including things like the, uh, the melee counter, mm -hmm. which is a great move. Mm -hmm. And we'll get around to how much better that is even now in, in Metroid <laughs> Dread. Yeah. But Anthony, you said this was really your first big experience with the series. You know, mm -hmm. what was it like starting with this particular Metroid game? Um, yeah, I mean, so like you said, you know, you can kind of see, um, you know, not having seen Metroid Dread, you can kind of see some of those mechanics, some of those um, moves, things like that, just kind of starting early on there. And um, for me, like that, that was immediately like, you know, a huge sell because um, I, I loved all the, the movement uh, combat in that game. Um, it was just like, at least for me, it being a, a, a first big Metroid experience, um, I had a ton of fun with it. And so... For me, it was like, well, wow, I get to play that again, but now it's improved in so many ways, um, and we'll get to talking about it, but I mean, I mentioned movement before, all about the movement. I mean, if, if you love just that sort of like smooth gameplay, going quick, moving fast, um, that's what it's all about, and so, um, yeah, those were the things I loved the most, and now we get it in spades. We get it much more. So <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was, that was a great first experience for me, but you know, I still, I still think I, I, I need to go back and experience, um, some of the games in their original form somehow, because I think that's really important just to sort of, you know, understand where all the, everything kind of starts out. Absolutely. And one game you're definitely going to want to experience is Super Metroid, which of course came out in 1994 for Super NES. And the, the quick story beats here to keep in mind are that Samus, uh, gives the Metroid hatchling that we talked about from the previous game to scientists who think they can harness its powers for good, uh, but space pirates attack, you know, darn space pirates again, and steal the hatchling. <laughs> They're still trying to weaponize uh, Metroid, uh, you know, the Metroid creatures. So Samus tracks them back to their homeworld to once again stop them from, from doing that. And right when Mother Brain is about to destroy Samus at the end, you know, Spoiler alert, I suppose, for a, for a very old game. Uh, the Metroid sacrifices itself to Saber, which has always stuck with me. I think it's one of the greatest kind of moments in, uh, in Nintendo games. And then Samus, um, you know, eventually destroys Mother Brain and the spice, uh, Space Pirates for good. 
Um, there were a lot of comments online that people shared with us for this game in particular, but uh, I thought Nicholas summed it up well when he said, Super Metroid is definitely my favorite. Very little hand-holding and the game mechanics are presented in a very natural way. The sense of isolation really feels unmatched compared to other games in the series, and this is compounded by its brooding environments and soundtrack. We didn't talk about this too much for the earlier games, but something that even early on, right from the beginning, the Metroid games are kind of known for is this very nuanced kind of tone, this kind of feel. There, especially in the earlier games, there wasn't a lot of story that was explicitly told to you, but there was a lot you could kind of absorb and kind of feel as you went through the game, you know, little hints in the backgrounds or, or just the mood of the music. And it creates an atmosphere that I think is as part of the Metroid series as anything else. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Nate, I'm sure you could say a lot about Super Metroid, but, but <laughs> what pops off, you know, in your mind the most about one of the most classic Super NES games, in my opinion? Well, you you already you really brought up something that um, that you're right. We we probably should have brought up at the beginning, uh, which is the the sense of of solitude that these games have. I mean, you are you are alone. You know, you're alone against everything, and more often than not, you're deep underground. <laughs> you know, just without uh, any connection to humanity. There's not there aren't NPCs here talking to you. There's nothing friendly about the environments that you're in. And Super Metroid just nailed that. Um, I think the, the the jump in power of the system in, in terms of what they could do artistically for the different environments, um, but then also adding in new power-ups, you know, the grapple beam and, and various other things. Uh, there were so many new ideas introduced, but overlaid on a familiar formula that I'd already fallen in love with that, uh, I, you know, I'm... I join every, you know, a lot of people out there in thinking that this is just one of the greatest video games of all time. I mean, I vividly remember my first experience playing it. I play it every year <laughs> now, you know, and, and enjoy it just as much even, and still get lost, even though I should me have memorized every last little thing, I still kind of get hung up. I still, now I remember where to power bomb, even though, you know, to get into Meridia, even though that's hung me up the first time I played it. But, um, you know, to be able to experience a game that's that far in my past that I've played that many times and still get joy out of it just speaks to the overwhelming quality of it. Just absolutely, uh, absolutely awesome. Yeah, I agree. I think it's aged incredibly well. And, you know, back then it was, it wasn't just that it added all these great new features and new abilities for Samus to perform, which was you know, took it to the next level for sure. But it just really refined and and fully delivered on the concepts that were there right from the beginning in the original NES Metroid. You know, it added an auto map for the first time, which was a real game changer. And, um, and everything just felt so much better and controlled so much better. Um, now, Anthony, are you going to promise us right here now that this will be <laughs> on your to-do you list to go back? Yeah, you know, using yeah, the Nintendo no. Switch Online and try this game. We have to pry Metroid I, Dread from his hands first. I know exactly. <laughs> After Metroid I, I'm kind of going backwards here. I'll admit, but um, you know, one thing I resonate with though um, is, and a word that that um, was said in that that message was uh, the hand-holding aspect of it, which I really kind of appreciate how that's treated in this series, like. You know, a lot of lot of uh, people don't really like to be handheld in games, and and sometimes it's kind of it's kind of necessary depending on you know if like things are just set up that way, right? If the game's designed that way. But I feel like with this series, at least from what I've I've experienced, is that the the aspect of there being no handholding is a really good thing because, like you said, you kind of soak in the atmosphere. And it kind of adds to that element of discovery. Um, sometimes it can be frustrating, but it's very satisfying, you know, when you when you sort of get over that hump. So um, that 
that in and of itself is something I really appreciate about the series. And yes, I promise I will uh, fully dive in myself. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I've done I've done the research though. You know, I've, I've I've definitely just as being interested in the series, I've kind of had to just you know understand you know where Samus has gone and where she's going. But um, yeah, I'll, I'm it's definitely on my list. <laughs> You'll love it. Good man, yeah. I, I interview you being able to experience that game for the first God, time. Seriously. The good news is that, you know, and we're recapping a lot of the key beats here and, and kind of, uh, and also the, the gameplay progression and how we got to Metroid Dread. But one of the great things about Metroid Dread is you don't have to have experienced any of this before. They give you a brief summary right at the beginning of the game that catches you up on the story. And then uh, they ease you in pretty well with some kind of tutorial parts and you're off to the races. So, you know, I think it's, it's the experience is obviously in, more enriched if you've experienced some of these earlier uh, adventures, but um, it's by mo no means a requirement. And uh, now moving on here to the final game before we get to Metroid Dread was Metroid Fusion, which released in 2002 for Game Boy Advance. And the key story beats here is, uh, you know, while assisting a research team back on planet SR388, uh, where the Metroids were first discovered, Samus is infected by a new parasitic life form called X. And uh, she is saved by a vaccine that was created with the cells from that Metroid hatchling we talked about, uh, which then makes her immune to the X parasites. So uh, Samus then has to battle X infected creatures throughout the space station, including a parasite that mimics her in her power suit at full power, uh, which is, uh, comes to be called the SAX. Um, which we'll get to more in a minute, but that was a, a huge part of that game. She also learns that Metroids are being bred again. So in the end, Samus crashes the space station to the surface of SR-388, destroying both the X-Parasites and the Metroids. Um, so on online, Cam uh, said that Metroid Fusion is my favorite game ever. The fear behind the SAX, the graphics of the GBA, and all the small details like Samus holding her arm cannon differently because she's weaker in that game. I'll make it a joy to play over and over again. And, uh, you know, as I said before, currently, uh, this is the last game in the timeline until Metroid Dread comes along. It also introduced Adam, a computer AI that follows Samus as kind of a supporting character, I guess you could say, into Metroid Dread. So, um, so Nate, what are your memories of Metroid Fusion? Uh, I have very, very fond memories um, for, for a number of reasons. Number one, this was actually the first game in the series that I had the pleasure of working on. I was uh, in the localization group. This is one of the first games that I did the writing for back then. Seems an age ago. Uh, and I couldn't believe how lucky I was to be playing it during development because Metroid was obviously one of my favorite series. But from a gameplay perspective, it was it was impressive on a number of fronts. I think that, number one, it, took a, it, it really deviated heavily from the previous games just in terms of even simple things like the way that you regained health, um, you know, in, in, by absorbing X parasites as opposed to little, you know, little power pellets that would appear in the air, you know, after, after shooting enemies. Um, but also it, it really was the first one I thought that started a little bit more methodically world building, you know, having actual updates from Adam, having actual monologues from Samus, uh, you know, on the elevators or in, in interstitials really started laying the groundwork for um, a more specific and broader universe that we're now seeing really paid off in, in Metroid Dread. Um, and beyond that, the, the SAX, you know, I'm, I'm sure both of you ha feel the, the connection between that and the Emmys in this, uh, in Metroid Dread, the, that concept of being completely outmatched and not being able to blast your way out of a situation, but instead having to use your head and just sometimes just get out <laughs> is, I hadn't experienced it at all. And it's something that 
I thought was amazing in Metroid Fusion, and I think it's even better in Metroid Dread. Yeah, I don't know which is more tense when uh, you're kind of hiding out in a crawl space and watching the SAX slowly walk across the room or when the SAX has found you and now it's just it's running <laughs> after you very fast and you're just trying to get out of there. Yeah, um, yeah it definitely. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was definitely thinking about that uh, when I when I started playing uh, a Metroid Dread and encountered my first Emmy robot. Uh, so, Anthony, another one for your to-do list, another classic. Personally, I would give a slight, uh, uh, I, I would pick Metroid uh, Zero Mission slightly over Metroid Fusion, but they're both great. They're both classics on the GBA, um, great fluid Metroid gameplay, and you can't go wrong either way. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, this is one that I actually um, have just sort of been, like, learning a ton about just because of its, you know, its place in the timeline and, and, you know, obviously going into Metroid Dread. So um, all those things, you know, that, that Nate said, you know, I, I definitely have uh, absorbed through just all of my friends and people, you know, that I, I've, I've uh, talked to that have played this game and really love the series. So, yeah, I know I, I, I have a lot to do, a lot to play, but um, I, think I, I think I've got my priorities set. <laughs> nice. All right, so we're finally here, the main event, Metroid Dread, which of course launches on October 8th for Nintendo Switch. And obviously there's a lot here we don't wanna get into with regards to story, and we certainly don't wanna spoil anything, but I'll, uh, I'll start with just the, the, the basic beginning intro here, you know, that I think we've seen in the trailers. Um, you know, uh, video footage comes in from an unknown source that seems to show that the ex-parasite might still be alive on a remote planet called ZDR. Uh, so the Galactic Federation, as they love to do, uh, sends uh, other people in to check it out. And at first, it's uh, seven Emmy robots, uh, but they all vanish. So then they, uh, they call in Samus to once again go in and, and find out what happened. And then shortly after landing, a mysterious new foe traps Samus deep underground, and she must navigate her way back to the surface. And that's where we find Samus at the very beginning of Metroid Dread. Again, no spoilers, uh, but, you know, uh, there is a lot that people, if they want to, can check out via the, the trailers, or, um, or via articles at metroid.nintendo.com. There's actually a lot of really cool information there. Um, and uh, you even get a hint of the Chozo warrior who appears to, to possibly attack Samus. And uh, of course the Chozo uh, have been a race that have been hinted at heavily throughout the Metroid series. Um, you know, if anyone who's played a Metroid game, you know that when you find a power-up, it's kind of in the hands of this kind of bird creature statue generally. And uh, those are like relics of the Chozo. I think you invented a lot of that technology. But we've never encountered a, an actual, at least to my knowledge, an actual living uh, Chozo. But uh, it seems like uh, that might be on the table here. So, uh, so Nate, you know, I, I know you've been, uh, you, you probably got a chance to try the game before, but here recently, especially, you've been really diving into the final version. Um, what do you think? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't even put it into words. It's, it's, it really is the culmination of the series in, in every way. Um, you know, I think it's, even without spoiling it, I think you can see from the story beats we've seen so far that this is a conclusion of a story arc that began back with that first game and has been steadily building over the last, you know, three decades. Um, but it's a culmination of, of all the things that made the other games great, all the lessons of gameplay um, have clearly been been put into practice here and at a time when it's, you know, on a system that has HD graphics, you know, it's, so it's looking better than it ever has before. Um, the backgrounds are absolutely incredible. 
Um, but the the way that the the game actually feels, I think is is the thing that's gotten me jazzed the most. And I think probably Anthony already alluded to it, so I'll let him talk about it. But a lot of that comes down to the first couple moments that you start moving. Just moving feels amazing in this game. Um, and when you nail that right off the bat, I think you know that you're going to be in for a good ride. Yeah, yeah, no, I so. I'm de- as soon as I turn the game on, like you said, like just moving, even just running, jumping, sliding, because there's a Samus slides, and uh, all of that, once you start really learning the game, how things work, and connecting things together, there's really no feeling quite like it. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty comfortable. It's like I've never actually played a game that, that feels this way, like kind of has that, uh, that 2D element to it, but like Nate said, like it's just beautiful. The backgrounds are awesome. Um, it's so smooth. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really recommend, you know, and I, I guess I can I can talk as a person who's like one of the people who is kind of experiencing things um, in a new way, but I definitely recommend, um, you know, going on to metroid.nintendo.com and checking out at least the, the very first couple Metroid Dread reports because um, there's a lot of really great info there that'll set you up. And, um, you know, there's a, it goes a little bit deeper, but, you know, you definitely kind of want to have that base there. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I I watched kind of the beginning of the game to just get that uh, recap that happens. Also, super important, and um, you know, not spoilery at all, but just enough to get you going. So, yeah, you know, it starts awesome, and it just goes up from there. You know, obviously, <laughs> no spoilers, but man, it's amazing. <laughs> Chris, I was I was actually curious to uh, hear you know as a fellow sort of old Metroid vet, you know, who played the original way back when. You know, Anthony never probably didn't realize how hard it was to like how what a big deal it was the first time in Metroid Dread you ran into a a block that was one, you know, one foot high and just ran over it instead of having to do a little mini jump to get over it. <laughs> you know, it's like little stuff like that. It's crazy, but it just feels so good. The little things. I know yeah. one of the first things I noticed is when there was a uh, you know, this is right at the start of the game where um, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, you know, there's never been a, a Metroid game where you start with the morph ball. So at this point, you don't have it yet. You walk up to a little hole in the wall and I'm just thinking, oh, OK, of course, if I get the morph ball, I'll come back here. But I just happened to press against that wall anyway. And Samus put her hand on the wall, yeah. like just recognizing that, no, you can't go there yet. And it was just this little inf- animation that they didn't technically need, I don't think. But it just it just goes to how smooth and how good this game feels. That every little interaction with your environment, um, you know, just just has that great feeling. And and like you guys said, you know, now Samus can slide for the first time. So you might you might do an automatic run over just a block that's one block high, and then slide into a tunnel that then becomes a roll into a morph ball once you have that power up. And then if when you're kind of running through an area filled with enemies, you can now uh, not just do a melee counter, which was from uh, Metroid Samus Returns on 3DS that we talked about, uh, which is this great move where, you know, as soon as you see an enemy kind of flash, if you time the press of the counter button just right, you'll you'll automatically knock their attack back and be able to, to finish them off in one quick strike. And in some cases, that's that makes it much, much easier to defeat a, a, an enemy who might normally take lots and lots of, of shots or missiles even. Yep. And now you can do that on the run, right? So you don't even yeah. have to stop to do the counter. You can do the uh, kind of a, a dash melee counter where you're you're doing it as you're just kind of going through an area. So when you combine all this together and you string together all these acrobatic moves and attacks, it just flows from one movement to the next, and it all feels buttery smooth. And it really is um, kind of the 
ultimate culmination so far of kind of everything that, that all the gameplay mechanics that over 35 years have been building up to this. And, and I just couldn't agree with you guys more. It just feels great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know if this was um, something that you guys felt too, but something I, I really love is that, you know, when you start the game, Sam is, is essentially stripped of all her abilities, but um, it still kind of feels like, you know, like you can still feel really powerful in like lots of those early moments. Like, I mean, obviously like, you know, there's a, a certain difficulty there um, as far as like abilities you, you, you don't have yet, things you can't do. But I mean, as you sort of scale up, it, it you really feel like you are actually like Samus. Like you are the most powerful legendary bounty hunter there is. And I, I love that how it's like challenging yet so satisfying at the same time throughout the entirety of the game. It's just awesome. Yep. That's the, man, that's, I think one of the, the hooks that hooked me from the very beginning of the series is, you know, the, is by the end of a game coming back through an area that once terrified you, that maybe you died at a zillion <laughs> times. And now you're just this bulldozer that you don't Running even pause. It. You, I mean, you, you don't even <laughs> have to, it's like, you just, everything's, you're just, you're torching everything in your path. I was thinking about it the other day, it, it's kind of like, if you played through all the way through like Super Mario Brothers and then beat Bowser and then became like a like a fireball spewing like spin attack god and then ran backwards <laughs> through the game, you know, you're so you're trucking through like world one, two and just just mowing down everything in your path. It's like Metroid gives you that feeling, unlike any other franchise that I ever have. It the sense of building power and then by the end of the game just feeling unstoppable is you know that's that's why i play video games that's is chasing that feeling yeah absolutely and I, I think you get you get so many of those satisfying moments that continue to build and build like i don't know that for me anything in video game gaming is more satisfying than finally stumbling into a room that has that next chozo statue mm -hmm. holding the next power up totally. and you're like ooh, what is that and you shoot it and then and then of course after you grab the power up you ball up into a little ball and just sit in the chozo's hands and take a screenshot because you know you, you got to do it <laughs> and uh, and then um and then, like you said, it gets to the point where some of the abilities you unlock later on, just like in previous games in the series, help you take shortcuts through certain areas. So you really are, you literally become like this buzzsaw, just kind of, you know, spitting through blocks and, and with just nothing being able to get in your way. But of course, there's always that next challenge on the horizon. So no matter how powerful you get, you know, until you beat yeah. the game, there's always something that, that you need all of that power yep. for, and it's still going to be a challenge. Totally. But I love yeah. how... You know, we talk kind of about the flow of a, of a, of a traditional Metroid game, and um, you know, this one's very, um, you know, very much in that same vein. But I love how the the Emmy zones kind of add a different spin to that. So you know, now you you will go in a special, easily recognizable kind of door that leads you into a zone where an Emmy is now active, and now it becomes where instead of you're the unstoppable force mowing through these bad guys, now you're the one that's being hunted. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you start hearing that little, uh, these zones can be quite big, you know, they span many, many rooms. So sometimes the Emmy may be patrolling an area that's further away, and then sometimes they're close and you can hear them making those little beep noises that just start to, you know, make <laughs> you tense up. And uh, and then depending on which level of kind of Emmy you're fighting, they have different abilities. So you got to watch out and be aware of what they can do and, and uh, use your own abilities to try to hide in some cases, like using the Phantom Cloak, which is an Aeon ability we've seen in the trailers to kind of uh, turn invisible to the Emmy and, and not make so much noise. Um, and that becomes a whole different kind of pacing and strategy. 
And then, you know, once you exit that area, and it oftentimes has multiple exits, and sometimes you'll have to go away, find another ability, and then come back through another entrance to ultimately deal with the Emmy. And as we've seen in, in, in trailers and I think demonstrations from Treehouse Live, you know, um, uh, ultimately you, you, you kind of find the Omega Cannon that allows you to permanently put down the Emmy and clear that area for good. But it becomes this nice pace, this mixed pace, right, of, of running through the maze, exploring, uncovering new rooms, getting power-ups, and then, oh, wait a second, now I've got to be on guard. I'm in an Emmy zone, mm -hmm. and you're dealing with that. But then you're back to the regular flow right after that. So I, I love that mix. Oh, man. Me too. Yeah. I, I mean, totally. it's – and I think what you mentioned from the beginning, um, you know, the sounds in the Emmy zone makes such a huge part of, of why they're so stressful. And, and as a callback to Metroid Fusion, you, remember when you walk into a room in Metroid Fusion, then all of a sudden the music stopped? And you're like, oh, no, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> and then <laughs> footfalls, you know, metallic footfalls of the SAX approaching. Each Emmy zone feels like that to me. You know, the, the, the sound is creepy. You can hear it creeping around. If it's close to you, it's making those clicking, beeping noise. I mean, that for me is a, a big part of the experience and why, um, why the gameplay is so satisfying in there is because you just you go in and you feel it immediately. Yeah, yeah, right away. No, like... You know, even for me, it was like, there's areas of the game, I mean, you know, where you kind of have to, like, backtrack once you get certain abilities and things like that. And, like, when I look on my map, because, trust me, you will be looking at your map a whole lot, um, I, I see that Emmy zone that I have to go through, and I'm just like, man, <laughs> there's got to be another way, there's right? There's got to be a way around. Because, like, like, you think you're tough, but no, you're, you're not. If you see, like, an Emmy, you're like, oh, yeah, like... I can I can maybe like you know get around it whatever you, you always end up getting <laughs> getting caught somehow <laughs> and like you know you do have like a once you kind of get right up against the yeah, I mean you know you're right at your your last moments there you do kind of have an opportunity to to counter but I mean that opportunity is so slim like I mean I hardly ever nail it so um, you know dr there's dread in the title for a reason it's a <laughs> it's not it's not the easiest thing to to handle once you get in that emmy zone yeah that is tough to counter that final attack that an emmy will give you but i've done it like twice almost by accident because the, the the timing is so narrow on it but when you do it it, it shocks you you're like oh my god i survived this thing and it's so <laughs> satisfying yeah totally i the one thing i was going to add on was that you i pay attention to the the topography a lot more in the emmy zones just because the entire time you're in there you're kind of mentally mapping out an escape route. You're like, you know, even mm -hmm. if you're just walking through it, you're like, I may need, I may be coming through here full steam with an Emmy right behind me at some point. I got to know where I'm going. So like I pay attention to that environment way, way more than, than just when I'm outside those zones. Right. Sometimes yeah. I, I find a spot that I think I'll be safe. Like, oh, if I just hang from the ceiling up here and activate Phantom <laughs> Cloak, maybe it'll pass by. And then it just happens. I, I just watch in horror as it like walks <laughs> on the good. ceiling and bumps right into me. <laughs> No, I'm just like but, immediately abort and then I just turn off the Aeon and just start running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if, uh, you know, one, one cool thing kind of along like what I was saying with how the Emmy zones break up kind of the flow, um, one thing that I was kind of pleasantly surprised by is you'll see like story scenes and bosses and like upgrades just kind of like pop up in kind of unexpected places for me. Like, it, you know, Sometimes you've got your eye on a certain marker on the map and you think, okay, you know, I'm, tr I'm kind of headed to that. But sometimes you just happen to fall, you know, through a random hole in the floor and then all of a sudden a cinematic starts or, you know, the ways in which or the environments in which you, you get upgrade, different upgrades for your weapons or your Ann abilities or, or your suit. 
Um, those are kind of different circumstances. So there's a nice variety of stuff that kind of keeps you guessing. And I feel like the game, the flow of it never becomes too predictable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, yeah, you one might thing... have a boss just pop up too. Yeah. No, totally. And you, and you mentioned like the cinematic moments. Like one of the things I, I really love is that, you know, there's obviously the moment where you get into the Emmy zone and you, you see the Emmy and, and you kind of are just like running away, hiding, um, whatever it is. But when it's time for you to actually take one on, there's this like cinematic experience that is really, really cool. Like you mentioned the counter. I think there was one time where like I, it, I was in that moment. I was using um, uh, the Omega Cannon to like, you know, to fight the Emmy. Got caught, countered, like slid up back underneath and like just started all over again. But just that whole experience was like something beyond just like a, a normal, your normal 2D experience, right? It was just, it was kind of a blend of all these different things I love about, um, you know, action adventure games. So yeah, I, I really love that about this game. There, there's so much, but I could talk for hours about, about this part of it. I totally agree with that. The over the shoulder, man, that it, the tension of the over the shoulder view as it's bearing down on you, is yeah. uh, you know obviously very intentional from from the directors of the game, and I'm with you. It's like it it ratchets it up the intensity of the experience like tenfold. Hundred percent. Yeah, you're charging up that Omega cannon as you're looking over the shoulder, and it's crawling toward you, and you're like, am I going to get this charged in time, <laughs> totally. or am I going to am I is my aim good? Yeah. But, um, yeah, like you said, we could just go on and on about this game. There's so much to talk about. I will say, without giving anything away, I was. I mean, of course, you expect the environments to change. You expect to enter new environments as you progress through a game. But uh, some of the ones you run into as you, you go through the game further and further really blew me away. And I think there's a lot of nice variety here. And and like Nate, I think you said earlier on, some amazing background details. And, um, and then, of course, you're encountering new types of obstacles and enemies as well. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, the further I, I really should stop talking there. The further you go, just the, the cooler things get. I think that's a really good point, though. You know, the the backgrounds are they're diverse. You know, obviously each zone looks very different, has different wildlife, has different interesting things in the background because of the fidelity of the graphics allowed their artists to really go crazy with sort of world building. You know, scenes that are telling stories sort of in the background, whether it's a robot being assembled or you know, or even just a, an enemy moving around back there. Um, but I, I do think it's worth noting that I think I'm incredibly impressed with um, the Nintendo team and the Mercury Steam team when it came to designing um, the environments and the platforms themselves, because you know you need to really strike a balance between beautiful backgrounds, but also having very obvious things that you can walk on. You know, you're you're operating in a 2D space, and if you over-design that so that you the player doesn't know where to land when they're jumping and it isn't, you know, isn't able to navigate as quickly and as effectively as they want to, you know, it's possible to over-design that. Um, and I think they've struck an incredible balance between really feeling like I know exactly what I can walk on, what I can't, what the different blocks look like, but also having that seamless with an incredibly beautiful background that's just environmental storytelling, really just, I, I can't say enough about um, how well they did that, that design part of the game. Absolutely, yeah, it is always very clear kind of what the environment is asking you to do. Even if you don't exactly know what, what item is needed to get past a particular door, um, you know that, okay, that's, there's a challenge there I'm just not ready for yet, yeah. I'll come back later. Totally. But, um, you know, before I start uh, unintentionally or maybe somewhat half intentionally talking about things we probably shouldn't get into, <laughs> any last uh, any last comments from you guys before we move on to the next segment? 
you know, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, you're, you're just kind of talking about um, some of those um, early challenges, like, you know, maybe like trying to figure out how to get past a certain area, things like that. I think, you know, one of the things early in the game is that, like, for me, I, I got stuck a couple times, like, where I was just like, dang, I'm just running around, shooting everything, running around the map. <laughs> and uh, I think that actually, like, it really teaches you early on, like, you know, the types of things you should be looking for, um, different things to try when you're kind of stuck. And I think that carries on with you throughout the game. And um, that's, that's a really great experience, you know, because it's like you feel like you kind of start off like Samus, you know, without much you know, much of your abilities, you know, you don't really have a ton of power, but um, as you sort of progress and you not just get those abilities, but you learn things about the game, the environment, um, you definitely feel more empowered. So yeah, I really appreciated that about the game. And um, yeah, there's just so much there. I mean, it, it's it's awesome that, you know, that I get to experience this as like a kind of an early, early new Metroid <laughs> experience for me, but um, I'm now I'm definitely just like all in. So yeah, I love it. Um, I'm super happy to hear that. And you know, I, I think um, that kind of leads me to the final point I'm, I wanted to make, which is that you know, Metroid is really its own its own genre. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's a platformer. It's a it's a puzzle game. It's a shooter. You know, it's a sci-fi epic. It's a lot of things. Um, and you know, ultimately, it's a it's challenging series. It's a challenging game. Um, and it's an acquired taste, but it's it's one that I think everyone should acquire. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, there's you know you talk to everybody. They know they know Mario. They know Zelda. You know these are massive franchises, and I think I think Metroid for me personally stands right up there with with the rest of them. Um, in that it's 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 a very tightly designed experience that is so satisfying when you master it. Um, and this is the perfect game to jump into it if you haven't played an, an earlier one because as we've you know it's not incredibly obvious from the way that we're all gushing about it this one is really something special even among the titans in the series that have already come before it so if you've never played a metroid game get in there y you are going to love it um but prepare to be tested because it's 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 a tough game <laughs> get in there <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you both more. And, you know, one thing I'll just add with regarding to that challenge level, I do really love that the game challenges me, but I would also say that it's, it's, uh, it, it helps you out too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for example, the Emmy zones, like we've talked about, can be very challenging. And I've, I've gotten caught by, the Emmy, uh, by different Emmy robots many, many times, but they don't send you all the way back to your last save room. If you get caught, they send you back to the door where you entered the Emmy zone. So little things like that, you know, even if you, you get temporary setbacks, you never have to go too far back. Um, and then also the map. Um, I didn't really mention this before, but this is, uh, I think, a much more robust map than we've ever gotten oh, in a yeah. Metroid game before. I mean, it not only, you know, previously you would kind of see like a, like, you know, basic flat shapes like uh, squares or rectangles uh, on the map screen indicating, you know, the rooms. But now they really draw like a little mini version of the room, and you can kind of remember and recognize uh, what room you're looking at on the map just just by looking at that that kind of icon map version of it, which is the exact same shape. Even some details are in there, and uh, and then you can set your own markers. Yep. And in addition, uh, things that you come across, whether you were able to obtain them or not, are marked on the map. So there's just a lot there. You can zoom way in on it or pull way back. Um, you really got everything you need there to help you chart out your course and you will be using it a lot because uh, there really isn't uh, much in the way of hand-holding in, in this uh, particular game. So 
you really need to pay attention to where you're going and use uh, all your all your resources to get there. I'm going to make Anthony play with like the the past games with a graph paper <laughs> and plot it out like I did when I was 12. Plotting out my own map for Metroid One. <laughs> it's gonna be like, wait, where's the where's the map? Where's all the stuff that like I'm supposed to have? You're right though. This map is is incredible. I mean, it, it tells you what individual blocks are. You know, it's it's fabulous. Yeah, absolutely great. All right, so moving on, uh, we are now starting with players' pulse. Now, a few days ago, just for fun, as usual, we posted three polls on Twitter for Nintendo fans to answer. And this time, of course, all the questions were themed around the 2D Metroid saga. Uh, and the first question we asked was, do you try to go to areas out of order? And the options we gave them were, yes, I love to sequence break, or no, I go with the flow. Um, Nate, how about you yourself? When you play a Metroid game, are you happy to just kind of go with the flow or do you try to um, stick it to the developers and maybe squeeze into places uh, you don't think you're <laughs> supposed to go yet? Well, both really, you know, I, I think on my, my first playthrough, I always, I almost always just go with the flow. Um, Cause I like to see sort of the way it was designed uh, to play, you know, it's sort of the, mm -hmm. the natural progression of things. My, my second playthrough and there always is almost immediately one of those is that's when I start trying to break it. Um, you know, that's when I intentionally start trying to find ways uh, around to get to places that I shouldn't be. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I really think that the Metroid series has been designed from the beginning to be that way. You know, it's, uh, it's, they're designed to be played over and over again in, in past games, you know, completion rewards actually vary depending on how fast you did, how many, you know, whether you got a hundred percent of, of the items and so on and so forth. So you're, you're really going to be playing through it a number of times. And that's always the way I spice up my, my second playthrough is by, uh, is by trying to break it. So I do both. Yeah, I I can't remember the uh, the number of times that I've died trying to run through a hot or cold zone before I was prepared to <laughs> to take those extreme temperatures. But uh, the the winner, or at least the uh, the one that was voted for the most, was yes, I love to sequence break. It was very close, fifty five percent to forty five percent, who generally just go with the flow. Hmm. Now the next question, uh, Anthony, was which beam is the best? And the options we had here were ice beam, wave beam or the wide beam or spacer beam. And we included both wide beam and spacer beam as kind of the same category because they're very similar. Uh, they just appear in different games. So Anthony, which is your personal favorite ice beam, wave beam, or wide beam slash spacer beam? Um, yeah, you know, just so I was just thinking about this because, uh, you know, it, was, it really wasn't that long ago when I like finally was able to use the wide beam. <laughs> So uh, that is like a huge jump in terms of just uh, things you can do in gameplay. And so that's why I love that one. <laughs> it, uh, I agree. It, it, well, it kind of takes like base gameplay just to like another level where it's like the things you were doing before are now you're doing the same things, but you're kind of just doing them on another level. So that part of it is really cool to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any game that gives you kind of a wide beam or a spread shot or something, I'm all for it. Uh, but the fans actually voted for Ice Beam, 51% of the votes. And uh, Wave Beam and then Wide Beam and Spacer Beam were very close. Uh, Wave Beam got 26%, and then the, uh, those last two together got 23%. So some nice parody, but people really apparently love being able to freeze the enemies and then stand on their heads and use them as steps to get somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, so that, that part's cool too, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> And then the final question that we asked was, when playing a Metroid game, do you try for 100% completion? Um, and the responses were, yes, I collect it all, or I grab what I need, maybe more. 
Nate, what do you think the fans voted for the most in this category? You know, I I think they probably voted um, to get what they need, uh, mainly because I feel like, especially with the the more modern games in in the series, Samus uh, Metroid Samus Returns, Metroid Zero Mission, um, and Metroid Fusion, hundred percent is a very elite task. Um, the platforming mm-hmm. and and sort of problem solving that you have to do in order to get 100% in those games really requires an extreme level of skill. And I think um, not everybody is willing to put the time and effort into doing that. And so uh, my guess is that the majority went with, I, I get what I need. Anthony, what do you think they picked? So I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say, I, you know, I know we got a lot of uh, hardcore fans of the series on our following us. So I'm going to say that they, they try and go all the way and get everything. Well, at least among the people that voted in our polls, Anthony, they sided with with you there. Yes, I collected all, got 56%, but uh, not far behind. I grabbed what I need, maybe more, was 44%. So I approve. I think that Even though I to lost, the, I approve. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably speaks to the type of fans that are hanging out on uh, Nintendo's <laughs> Twitter account. But, uh, but it's good to see that uh, so many people are, are, are giving it their best. All right, next we're moving on to Warp Zone. And this is the quiz where I'll give you clues to help you identify three games that came out 10, 20, and 30 years ago. And since we changed the format for the quiz the last uh, episode and and missed some of the good games from that month, uh, you'll be guessing games that came out during the months of both August and September this time. So you guys ready? Yep. Yeah. Cool. I remember this is not a competition. It's a team sport. (laughs) So uh, you can help each other out here. So first off, 10 years ago in September of 2011, the clues are Nintendo published a cute and unusual platformer for Nintendo DS where you use the stylus and touchscreen to control up to 10 duplicate characters at once, which you use to swarm over enemies or fling into the air to hit flying foes. Any guesses? That was a Kirby game. Wasn't it that Kirby game? I forget the name of it, though. Oh, oh it was shoot. Kirby. Oh, you got you got half of the way there. Um, yeah, Anthony exactly. and uh, I, I can't believe I can't remember Mass the name Attack. Did yeah. you say Mass Attack? Mass Attack. Is that that's it. it. Yes. I was hesitant. Yeah. I was hesitant. Yes. So that's why I kind of whispered it. You know, Kirby Mass Attack. <laughs> Good teamwork. All right. Next up, 20 years ago, this is September of 2001. The clues are: Nintendo published a turn-based strategy game for Game Boy Advance, where, as a commanding officer for the Orange Star Army, you commanded ground, air, and naval forces across various terrain and through the fog of war, on your way to routing the enemy or capturing its headquarters. Any guesses? Oh, that's Advance Wars, baby! Absolutely, <laughs> right yep. on the head. Coming, coming to a Switch. Rebooted. Yes, that's right. Coming to a Switch, Nintendo Switch near you. <laughs> yep, <laughs> really wait. looking forward to that. The original Advance Wars and Advance Wars 2 are two of my favorite Game Boy Advance games. All right, uh, 30 years ago, this is August of 1991. Uh, I think we're before you were born territory here, Anthony. <laughs> no, I was born. I was born. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, cool. All right, so the clues are this Super NES launch game from Nintendo took to the air to test your skills in aerial activities that included flying a plane and a helicopter, hang gliding, skydiving, and even flying with a rocket belt, all of which used stunning Mode 7 graphics that let players fly freely in any direction for the first time on a Nintendo system. Any guesses? That's got to be Pilot Wings, yeah? Absolutely, yeah, Pilot Wings. Of course, out of all those things, I think my favorite activity in that game might have been uh, taking a penguin and diving into a uh, into a tiny little swimming pool from like That's a thousand right. feet in the air. That's right. <laughs> it's always the little things. All right, so we've reached the 
bonus question. So I'm going to play a sound, and I'll play it a, a couple of times, so please hold your answer. Um, and I'm hoping that you can guess which game this sound is from and, and, and also what it comes from. So here we go. I'll play it a couple of times. And a few more. All right, any guesses? Oh, man. Wait, are we in a year here, or is this a free game? <laughs> sure, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a year, 1987. <laughs> man, it's familiar, but I don't, I don't have this one, Anthony. How about you? Oh, uh, yeah, Nate, you've got to have this one. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I got too many beeps you know, it, and boops in my brain, man. They've all, they've all melded together. They all sound the same. <laughs> Just a couple more clues here. It may have come from one of the games we discussed at the top of the episode, and, and you'll only hear this sound when you're you know, curled up in a ball. What is that laying? Is that laying a bomb? Really in Metroid? That's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. it. And you know it's funny. It's like I just like when you when I hear that when you say that I think of like like I still can tell what it is because like you know if you play like Super Smash Bros stuff like that yeah. you know it's, it's very very similar. Oh, so, that's an yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing that we didn't get that off the bat. But I know because we're, well, we're used to the new bomb noise, which it's a little bit more metallic in Metroid Dread. <laughs> yeah. so. I was gonna say yeah, it's probably changed over the we're years. Thirty years that ahead of time. Quite a while ago. But a very good showing from you guys in the Warp Zone quiz. So congratulations on that. And before we go, we're going to head to Game Forecast. And this is where we take a quick look at some of the Nintendo Switch games that recently released or are coming soon. So on September 14th, we had Colors Live from Collecting Smiles and Cruisin' Blast from Roth Reels and Game Mill Entertainment. Uh, on September 16th, Eastward from Chucklefish and Skatebird from Glass Bottom Games. On uh, September 17th, we had Nino Kuni 2, Revenant Kingdom, Princess Edition from Bandai Namco Entertainment, and Toem from Something We Made. And then on September 23rd, Diablo 2, Resurrected from Blizzard Entertainment, Fist of Fluffs from Playfellow Studio and Rogue Games. And on September 29th, A Jungler's, a Juggler's Tale from Kaleidoscope, or sorry, Kaleidoscube and Mixed Vision. On September 30th, we have Astria Ascending from Plugin Digital. On October 1st, it's FIFA 22. Nintendo Switch Legacy Edition. And on October 5th, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl from Ludosity and Fair Play Labs and Game Mill. And Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania from Sega. Then on October 8th, of course, Metroid Dread from Nintendo. Tetris Effect Connected from Resonart and Stage Games, uh, Monsters and Enhance. And on October 29th, we have Mario Party Superstars from Nintendo. So a stacked month. And again, you know, this is just a small sample of, of what's coming out. Um, Nate, is there anything here that jumps out uh, to you especially? Well, because we got to experience Metroid Dread early, we're, uh, I, I kind of got to clear my slate of that first, but I've already got the next game I'm playing, which um, you just mentioned, uh, is, is Eastward. You know, I was really fascinated by the look of that game, um, and it uh, looks to, to, it'll certainly be a much different experience from what I'm playing right now, but I, it'll probably be a nice, uh, hopefully a little bit of a welcome break from constant tension. <laughs> Um, but game <laughs> gamelet just looks uh, really really interesting, so I'm psyched to dig my teeth into it. Yeah, same here, Anthony. How about you? Yeah, well, you know, um, it, the '90s, mid '90s, that's my era right there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Nickelodeon All Star Brawl. Um, I mean, that game's just got all the characters for <laughs> uh, a, you know for a kid like me um, that I could ask for. I mean, if I can play a SpongeBob against Cat Dog or whatever, like that's just <laughs> I'm sold already. So I, I'm really excited for that. And, um, you know, another one, too, uh, you mentioned, which is uh, Super Monkey Ball uh, Banana Mania. That game looks awesome just because of all the 
again, all the characters in that game is just kind of wild. I've kind of just been following as they've been sharing more information. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, it looks super fast. It looks super wacky and, and fun. And again, I get to play with some pretty wild characters. So I like all of that. Yeah, all of those sound like great picks. I've definitely been looking forward to Eastward and I'm, I'm an old school Super Monkey Ball fan. One other one I'll add is Mario Party Superstars. That's just a game that I, I love sitting down and playing with my kids. Um, we never get tired of, of playing uh, the Mario Party games, and this one looks like it'll be a blast. So really looking forward to that one, too. Well, Nate and Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show, and we're going to have to keep uh, you know, letting each other know how our adventures are going in Metroid Dread. Absolutely. Oh, yes, definitely. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. All right, see you next time. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave a review, and be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening, and keep playing with power.